But today we serve. That's where we left the story last week of Elijah, the man of God, with a little bit of oil. Just a little bit of oil ends up being an endless supply. A man of God. Last week I asked you a, a question that I will continue today. What would you do if you had access to a man of God? Now, if you were here last week, you know that that was all leading somewhere. It's not leading us to Elisha. What would you do if you had access to a man of God, the Son of God? Jesus. And he was right in front of you. And he's within your reach. And he is that little bit of oil that never runs dry. A man of God. Last week, we talked about the man of God, Elisha, who received a cloak. Elijah comes to him in a field and throws a cloak, a mantle, a calling. That which Elijah carried, he now throws upon Elisha. You know, it's almost like, okay, you take it. It's heavy. It's, it's a heavy calling. He gives it to Elisha. And Elisha becomes a man of God. That's the title of the series. And we need to understand something today. When that calling comes upon you, when the presence and the power of God comes upon you, it is God's intention that you become a man of God, a woman of God. You become one of His. Elisha, the man of God, made poison water fresh with salt of all things, to counteract death and fertility. As I go through this today, here's what I want you to get. Everything in the Old Testament is eventually in some way revealing Jesus the Christ. In some way, it's laying a foundation or showing you a picture, a shadow, some way everything points to a single person, Jesus. So when Elisha, the man of God, turns poison water fresh and pure with salt to counteract death and infertility, he's painting a picture of something that will happen in the future when Messiah comes. Elisha, the man of God, had authority over bears. and They mauled 42 smart alecks who called him baldy. Elisha, the man of God, interceded between kings and God and brought forth water in the wilderness, but what he really brought was victory over the enemy. And this man, a single person, because he wore the cloak, the calling of God, was used by God to establish which king would be in power in the Middle East. One man, Elisha. Elisha, the man of God, provided a way to pay off the debt of a widow, of another prophet that had died with a supernatural supply of olive oil. By asking her a question, what do you have in your house? Quit focusing on what you don't have and look at what you do have because it is what you already have that I will bless and multiply. What would you, church, do today if you had access to a man of God? Not Elisha, not Elijah, not Moses, not David. Jesus, the one they were all pointing to. I tell you today, and I want to begin by laying this foundation, I tell you today that one greater than Elisha has come, and he is now accessible to you and to me. He is within our reach. He is not up in heaven so far that we cannot reach him. He is not on the other side of the sea so that we cannot reach him. He is not some kind of a spirit that we cannot obtain personally. He is within your reach, and it is his desire that you take hold of him today. Here's how the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a New Testament book that connects the old and the new. It starts in verse 1, says, long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Now listen carefully. The book of Hebrews, the first verse says something. In the past, before Jesus, God spoke in a lot of different ways to the world. He spoke through prophets like 
Elisha, like Elijah, like David. He, he spoke through a lot of people in a lot of ways, but something happened. The one they were all revealing in some way or the other, he came. He came. He came to the earth. And because he came to the earth, he's not going to communicate to planet earth the way he did in the Old Testament. No, 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 no. Why? Because he came. Let me repeat verse 1. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us singularly. They were all revealing him in some way, but now they don't need to reveal him. He will reveal himself. Now he has spoken to us through his son. But two things I want to draw you to before we start today. Number one, this scripture says that in the last days, in these final days, do you understand, church, that you are living in the final days that God has described a singular method by which he will communicate himself? You're living in the final days. Most of us were Pleasantly surprised, and not surprised maybe, when this week we heard that the U.S. Supreme Court had made a decision to push, and by the way, understand something, understand that that decision did not outlaw abortion. It did not. I'd like to clap with you too. But the fact is, it did not outlaw abortion. It moved abortion decisions back to the states. Now, we happen to live in a state where that will probably end up favorably because there's still many Christians in this state. And I feel like the state of Kentucky will make it pretty much illegal to have an abortion. But the reality is this, we live in a real world, they will be able to drive to Chicago and get one. So this battle is not over. In fact, I, I kind of worry that the church may think that somehow or another, that the darkness has now been overcome by light because of a, a Supreme Court decision. And while I welcome and embrace that decision and say, thank you, Lord, 63 million voices cry out from the earth. 63 million cry out. And darkness is not done. In fact, Jesus himself said that Toward the end, it's going to get so, so dark that you cannot imagine how dark it will become. We live in the midst of this darkness, and in this darkness, there is a single voice. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors in many ways, including the prophets like Elisha. But now in these last days, church, do you understand that you live in the countdown to the last day? And in the countdown to the last day, there is one single voice. And any voice except that voice is the spirit of Antichrist. Any vo anything that comes to humans outside of Jesus Christ inside the last days is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, he will speak through people who have his spirit which means that he can speak through preachers who have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is Christ in me. But understand that there is also a spirit of Antichrist. So here's the foundation. In the Old Testament, he spoke through Elisha's, Elijah. Now in the countdown to the end, he speaks singularly through his son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. Do you understand? This planet Earth is under the dominion of an enemy. His name is Satan. One day he will be dethroned. And God has promised everything in heaven and on earth to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And when he, Jesus, had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the sun is far greater than anything in the past. Any Elijah or Elijah or David, this shows that the sun is far greater than any angels, Lucifer, any angels, 
He is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than any other name. There is no other name under heaven that people can be saved by. It is a singular name. It is a singular voice that speaks in the last days. His name is Jesus. Say the name. Jesus. Say the name. Jesus. There's any demons sneaking around in here, they got to go. <laughs> I want you to hold that thought. There is one greater than Elisha. He has come. In fact, I love the idea that Jesus says, of all men born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, I can't even untie his shoes. There is one greater than Elisha has come. As we continue with the life of this man of God named Elisha, understand something. One greater than Elisha is just a preview. And I'm going to show you. He's a, he's a preview. I'm going to show you a couple of scenes today. And in those scenes, he's crying out a future singular voice of Jesus Christ. So let's go in the next scene to Elisha and a woman from Shunem. 2 Kings 4 verse 8. One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there. And she urged him, Elisha, come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat at this wealthy woman's home. So this wealthy woman said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. There's the title. He's a holy man of God. I'm sure. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Now, I'm going to ask some of you right now, do you already see the New Testament unfolding? There's a holy man, and we'd like to him to move into our house when he comes by and live with us. Let's build a small room for him on the roof, furnish it with a bed, table, champ, chair, and lamp. Then, we, then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. And one day, so they did, by the way, they did. They built a place so that when Elisha comes by, he'll stay in their house. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem. He went up to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, Tell the woman from Shunem, Shunem, I want to speak with her. By the way, in this first scene, he's not going to speak personally. He's going to send a messenger to speak to her. His name's Gehazi. So tell the woman, Gehazi, tell her that the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she, the woman, appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown to us. What can we do for you? So Elisha tells Gehazi, tell the, the lady, ask her a question. You've been so good to us by letting us move into your house, making a place for us in your home that we'd like to do something for you. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? Can we put in a word for you from someone on high? Hmm. No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. So she said, no, thank you. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, his servant, what can we do for her? He's not content to live in her house and not bless her. What can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son. And her husband's an old man. Call her back in again. Elisha says, call her back in again. And Elisha told him, so when the woman returned, Elisha said, now he's not talking through Gehazi. Now he's talking to her himself. Elisha said to her, as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, here comes, oh man of God. Don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant and 
At that time, the following, and at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. Now, my first counsel to the church is to be really careful when you have a man of God come over to your house for dinner. <laughs> I'm not going anymore with that one. Just be careful. But what would you do if you had access to a man of God and you had access for him to actually build a room to make a place in your home? Now, we're turning in a new direction with this scene. What if you had access to a man of God and you had the ability to actually make a place in your house for him? Would you want him close by to you? Would you want him close enough in your house with your family? What would you do if the man of God asked you this? What can we do for you? What if, what if him moving into your house prompts him to ask you, what can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you from someone up high? She doesn't ask for a child. It's interesting. She doesn't ask for a child. She doesn't ask for a son. Even though he prompts her, what can we do for you? She doesn't ask for a son because she thought this joy was out of her reach. Anyone's reach. The man of God, however, discerns her heart. He discerns her heart. Even that which she cannot speak, does not speak, he discerns her heart. And because she has made a place for him in her house, he now gives her the desires of her heart. Don't tell me this isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ in advance, and one greater than Elisha has come. And then the man of God's story turns bad. Or at least it seems to turn bad. What would you do if you had access to a man of God and he moved into your house and then the story turns bad after he moves in? Verse 18. One day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. And suddenly he's the child, the supernatural born child. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to the one to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home to his mother, held him on her lap, and his mother held this boy on her lap, but around noontime, the boy dies. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Now, now stop for a moment. I suppose there's more than that one bed in that house. Why would she put him on the man of God's bed? He's dead. But she takes him and puts him on the bed of Elisha, the man of God. Then she shut the door and she leaves him on Elisha's bed. And he's dead. Now here's what's interesting. If you read the detail of the story, she does not tell her husband that the boy's dead. Not yet. She hadn't told him. Verse 22, she sent a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. So she's not told him. I just need transportation. Send me a donkey and do it quick because I'm going to go to the man of God and I'll be right back. What's in her mind? She has just put her dead son on the bed of Elisha. She's gone for a man of God. Why go today? The husband asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, I'll be right back. She still hadn't told him. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to slow down. As she approached the man of God on Mount Carmel. Now here's an interesting twist. Mount Carmel, that's where Elijah called down fire from heaven. And that's where Elisha's hanging out. So she approaches the man of God, Elisha, at Mount Carmel. Elisha saw her in a distance. He said to Gehazi, look, 
the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out and meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. She's not told her husband and she wouldn't tell Gehazi. What's going on here? She's not telling anybody this is over. Why? Because there's still a man of God on Mount Carmel. She's, still, she's going to see the man of God. She's not told her husband he's dead. She's not told Gehazi he's dead. Everything's fine. Verse 27. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away because he doesn't know what's going on either. Gehazi started to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Isn't it interesting? Elisha, the man of God, he doesn't know either. Then he said, did I ask you for a son? She said to Elisha, did I ask you for a son? My Lord, did I ask you for a son? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? What would you do if you had access to a man of God? He moved into your house. And after he moved into your house, trouble came to your house. What would you do? That's what's going on in this story. Even after he said, what can we do for you? And he gives you the desire of your heart. Trouble still comes. What would you do then? You see, Elisha didn't know her son had died. Not originally. The Lord had hidden it from him. But he could see the anguish in her face. She is crushed by the death of her son. By her own grief. But there's one hope. She still has access to a man of God. Next verse. Verse 29. Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly. Listen carefully. Go quickly and lay the staff, my staff, on the child's face. But the boy's mother... Here's that instruction from Elisha to Gehazi. The boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Now let's pause in that story for a moment. Because I'm going to tell you, when I read that, you know what the first thing went into my mind? She says, I, mean, I ain't going unless you go. I'm not going unless you go with me. Where'd you get that? Where'd you hear that from? Moses. Remember the story of Moses I talked about just a few weeks back? Moses has, has delivered the children of Israel out of bondage. He's gone to the mountain. He's encountered God. He's encountered God on the mountain. He's asked God, show me your glory. And it, God says to Moses, you're going to go to the promised land with these people, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses looks at God and says, if you ain't going with me, I ain't going. And why? If you go back and study that text, there are two things inside that that I also see with the woman of Shunem. Two things. Number one. He says, if you don't go with me, if you send somebody with me, maybe an angel, but you don't go with us, how will anyone on the way in the journey know that you look favorably upon me and these people if you don't go with us? Number one. Number two. He said, the only thing that separates us from the rest of the world is your presence. It's the only thing that makes us different is you traveling with us. So if you don't go with us, I ain't going. And here we are, much later in the story, you've got this woman of Shunem, and she looks at Elisha, and she says pretty much the same thing. Unless you go with us, I ain't going. So 
He sends Gehazi quickly on ahead with the staff laying on the child command. Verse 31. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face. Nothing happened. There was no sign of life. And he returned to meet Elisha and told him, the child is still dead. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to imagine the expectation of this scene. I want you to imagine the expectation of the mother. I want you to imagine the expectation of Gehazi. Gehazi's got this stick. He, is, he has seen supernatural things from Elisha. Elisha said, just take the stick, lay it on the boy. What's his expectation? What do, you, what do you think was going to happen? What is this mother? What does she think is going to happen? They still did. And, and okay, so let's put Elisha in the story. Did he think the stick would work? What's his expectation? And the father, he doesn't even know. And Elisha didn't see it coming. You think Elisha saw this coming? He didn't see the woman coming. He didn't see the stick didn't work coming. He didn't. What's the expectation? Unless God shows up, this is not going to end good, right? There's expectations from the all, from all of them. But the reality is the child is still dead. And I ask you a question. What would you do if you had access to a man of God and he moves into your house? And he looks at you and blesses you with the desires of your heart, so full you are by his presence, and then something bad happens. What do you do then? This is real life, isn't it? This, this is not a movie. This is real life. This is, what, this is how real life works. And I hear this woman. She looks at Elisha says, as surely as the Lord lives and you live yourself, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returns with her. Next verse, 32. The stick didn't work. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone, shut the door behind him, and prayed to the Lord. Okay, Gehazi, out. Mom, sorry, but you're out. It's now the man of God and God. He prayed to the Lord, verse 34. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Now, understand if you count the travel time to Mount Carmel and back, this child's been dead a long time. Does that matter? I wonder how long you could be in the grave until some would be too long for him to resurrect you. There is no number. He began to grow warm again, 35. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then he stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times, opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi, call the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elisha said, here, take your son. Can you, anybody see the New Testament? I could go a mile, but I don't have time. Here, take your son. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. And then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. What would you do if you had access to a man of God and he actually would come and live inside your house and then he would look at you and said, I'm so pleased with you that you would have me live with you, that I'm going to bless you. And he does bless you. And he gives you the desires of his heart and not alone, not anything less. His presence is there. But then something really bad happens. What would you do? 
I'm telling you today, there is a man of God greater than Elisha. And here's why I bring it up. And there is not a person here who can face death without him. You can't. There is one greater than Elisha. And you can't face death without him. This man of God, Jesus, raises people from the dead. Yes, today. And some of you right now, your mind will be tempted to scoff. And you need to understand something. Jesus is still doing miracles right now today. When you are born again into Christ, when he moves into your house, you are born again. You're not one day going to have eternal life. You have eternal life right now. You're just waiting for a new body to put it in. You already have eternal life. It is a miracle. It is a resurrection. It happens now. Right now, it is within your reach. When this man of God comes into your house, you are born again. You have life forever. Tell me that he's not doing it. Tell me there's not a miracle. He's still doing it. And on the last day, those bodies, those tents that were folded and put away, they will rise too. And it doesn't matter if it's been 2,000 or 6,000 years. They will rise too. And the soul will return to that body resurrected. He still does miracles today. Elisha, the man of God, raised this boy to life. But the problem is this. Eventually, that boy died again. You get it? Eventually, that boy died again. This man of God named Jesus can raise you to life. And you will never die again. Jesus looks at the, uh, Martha in the graveyard scene of four-day dead Lazarus, right? He says, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me will live, even if you die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he does four words. Do you believe this? Church, do you? What would you do if you had access to a man of God? What about today? Would you say what the woman of Shunem said? Would you? She said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I won't go home today unless you go with me. So let's come into this room right now and let's just test this theory. Would you dare say to God today? Would you dare say to God today? I will not go home today unless Jesus Messiah goes with me inside of my house. Would you dare say that? Because that's what he wants you to ask him for. I will not leave this place. I will not leave this building unless you go with me. I will not depart from this place and go into that dark world without you. Because I cannot face death without you. I cannot face what's coming to this earth without you. So go with me. Would you do it? What would you do if you had access to a man of God that offers to build? Would you build a room for him? Make a place for him in your home? Would you want him close by you? Would you want him close by you, your children, your grandchildren? Parents, grandparents, listen. You need this man of God in your house. And in all likelihood, there's a lot of people sitting in this room today. And in reality, he's not in your house. And it's generational. Do you understand? It is generational. It's not just affecting you. It affects your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. You love your children, your grandchildren. Make a room in your house for this man of God named Jesus. Say to him today, I ain't going home unless you go with me. You need to make a place for him to live in your house. And I hear him saying, what can I do for you? Yes, he will come in. He will bless you. He will give you the desires of your heart after he comes in. But you will still face hardship in this life, just like that woman did. Now, I got one more story. One more story about this man of God named Elisha. This one has to do with a mighty warrior named Naaman. And what's interesting about this is he's a Gentile. 
He's not Jewish. That's unusual in the Old Testament. Naaman was the commander of the army of Aram in the time of Elisha. He was a great military leader, but Naaman had a big, 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 big problem. He had leprosy. And why is that a problem? Well, not just the isolation of it all. Leprosy would eventually lead to death. Leprosy, a sickness. Listen, church. Naaman had a sickness that would lead to death. It just so happened, as if anything just so happens, that Naaman had a servant girl that was Jewish from the land of Israel. We suppose that she was captured as a slave during some military campaign and ends up as a servant girl inside of Naaman's house. The servant girl from Israel is going to be used of God to do something much bigger than herself. And you need to understand something that God threw a cloak around Elisha's neck. He's going to also throw a cloak around the servant girl's neck. You know, sometimes you only think that he does it with big names. No, no, no. We don't even know her name. But the cloak around her neck is a calling. It's a purpose. Something that God through you is going to do to affect the world. So he's going to throw the cloak around the servant girl's neck, and she's going to say, tell Naaman what Naaman needs to hear. What would you do if you had access to a man of God? This servant girl from Israel tells her master, Naaman, about a man of God in Israel named Elisha. This servant girl tells Naaman that this man of God has power, listen, to overcome, cure leprosy. What would you do if you had access to this man of God? And now let's change scenes. And now you're sick, and you've got a sickness that leads to death. And now you know you're sick, and you know the sickness leads to death. But now suddenly, because this servant girl has told you, you've got access to a man of God. What would you do? So Naaman goes to his boss, the king of Aram. 2 Kings 5 verse 4. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king said. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying, now this kind of blows my mind, 750 pounds of silver. I hope he's got strong donkeys. 150 pounds of gold, that ought to meet the co-payment. He's got 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. The problem is the king of Israel is the one that gets the letter, and he's not a man of God that cares leprosy. So he's a little intimidated. It looks like Naaman would pay a great price. It looks like the king of Aram would pay a great price, whatever it takes. Is this a small thing they're seeking? Leprosy being cured? Do you understand that even today they can't cure leprosy? It's not a small thing. Look at how the king of Israel, not Elisha, because the king of Israel is the one that gets the letter. Look at how he responds to the letter from the king of Aram. Verse 7. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, This man sends me a leper to heal? Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. If you're not a man of God and the things of God may not make much sense to you. The king of Israel doesn't yet know that God is setting all this up. By the way, Jesus quotes this entire scene in the New Testament. How powerful is that? The king of Israel doesn't know that God is putting all this together to reveal his glory to the people of Aram and their Gentiles. Here he comes. Elisha, the man of God. 
And I'm going to ask you again, because the storyline has changed. What if you, okay, let's be personal, practical. What if you had a sickness that led to death and you had access to a man of God? What, what would you do? Would you, and it's within your reach. It's within your reach. What would you do with it? Verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to the king. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha, interesting, he doesn't even go out on the porch. He sends a messenger. So here you've got, I, I picture this is quite an entourage. I mean, you don't go around with 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold without some people with you, okay? This is quite an entourage now at e Elisha's house, and Elisha sends somebody out. He doesn't even come out. He sends a messenger out with the message. Here's the message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of leprosy. Have a nice day. That's it? That's all there is? The man of God didn't even come outside? He didn't send out his staff? Whoa, that staff's powerful. He didn't use, throw salt in the air? That's it? Go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. You'll be clean. What would you do if you had access to a man of God? And you had a sickness that led to death. So I got a couple of questions. This is important. Church, right now, this is important. Would you listen to him if you didn't see him face to face? The man of God who gave you instructions how to not die. Would you listen to him if you didn't see him face to face? No, I got to see him face to face or I'm going to just have to die, I reckon. <laughs> would you listen to him if you didn't see him face to face? Would you listen to him if he asked you to do something very simple? Now, by the way, you're still dying. Would you listen to him if you didn't see him? He didn't even come out on the porch. Would you listen to him if, if, his, if his cure seems too easy? Just get seven times dipped in the Jordan River. So how will Naaman respond to this man of God and his very clear instructions? And, and he's dying with this leprosy. Verse 11, Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out and meet me. See, I, I, surely he'd come on the porch. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, I expected him to wave his hand. Wow, that, that, that'd be big. I'd wave his hand over the leprosy, call on the name of the Lord his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Farfar, better than the rivers in Israel? Why, should I, why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Do you see the New Testament? Do you see the gospel of Jesus Christ preached around the world? Do you? Everything in the Old Testament is revealing the singularity of Jesus and the message of Christ. What would you do if you had access to a man of God and you're sick and you know the sickness is going to make you die? Would it make you angry if he told you to be washed in water? Is that too simple? Would it make you angry if he told you to be washed in water? Such a simple thing when you consider the alternative, which is death, Grave. Washing in water seems like a good idea. Would you be angry if he asked you to be born again of the water and the spirit? Such a simple thing when you compare it to death, which is even bigger than leprosy. If he told you to be born again of the water, 
born of the Spirit. This is the message of the gospel of Christ. Would that somehow make you angry? I, I didn't even see him. He didn't even come out on the porch. If Jesus came out on the porch and told me personally, maybe I'd believe him. But he just sends messengers with a message. You must be born again. Would you be angry and walk away if he told you to deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow him? Well, that's such a small thing when I compare it to the grave that's out in front of me and hell that's on the other side of the grave. Well, that seems pretty insignificant. To die yourself, take up a cross, follow me? Would you be angry and walk away if he simply looked at you and just said, follow me? Would that make you mad? Well, nobody else is following him. I don't know why I should follow him. Would that make you mad? Would you just walk away? I don't see anybody else doing it. Would you be angry if he simply looked at you and said, believe my words? Would that make you mad? If you had a sickness that was going to take your life, you're going to die. And a man of God sends a messenger to you and said, simply believe my words and live. What would you do? Seems like such a small thing compared to the alternative. What, if, what, would, what would you do if you had access to a man of God and you're dying? Verse 11, I want to read it again. Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. To die of thirst six inches from fresh water. Nothing's really changed much, has it? To die of thirst six inches from fresh water. Healing within your reach. This will describe many who encounter this man of God named Jesus. Many who encounter the Word of God named Jesus. You just walk away angry, and you're not even real sure why you're mad. It just seems too easy. It seems too simple. In the book of Hebrews, I made a big deal when we started today. It said, in the past, God spoke through the prophets in various ways. But now in these last days, during the countdown, he speaks singularly through one, Jesus. I want to tell you what he says. In Mark 16, 15, this is the singular voice of Jesus. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. God has thrown the mantle over a lot of necks in 2,000 years. And he told them to go into all the world and preach this message. Hold out the message of what sick people can do to keep them from dying. You don't have to die. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Too easy? Too simple? Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Well, there's an alternative. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. If he asked you to do something very difficult, would it be more believable, more acceptable? Do you want fire to come down from heaven? Would he, if he came out on the porch, would it make a difference? Back to the man of God, Elisha and Naaman, verse 13. But his officers tried to reason with him, Naaman, said, Sir, if the prophet, if Elisha had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him. You should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. Go and wash and be cured. Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. And he was healed. And he was healed. 
and he was healed. Say those words, and he was healed. Too simple? What would you do if you had access to a man of God and you're dying? Would you simply do what he asked you? Is it too easy? Would you simply just do what he asked you? Tell me, as I read this next scripture from Luke's gospel, what is the difference between the question Naaman asked Elisha and what the man of God in the gospel of Luke, what the man in the gospel of Luke asked Jesus? The only one life is temporary, one life is eternal. But what's really the difference? And by the way, the man of God in Luke's gospel is not Elisha. He is the man of God, son of God, Jesus. Luke 10, 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What, can, what should I do to live forever? Great question. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Jesus told him, right. Do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. So what would you do if you had access to a man of God, and you're dying, and you heard these very clear words of instructions? Do this, and you will live. Do this. What? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you? Can you? Is this outside of your reach? Is it impossible for you to get there from here? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's within your reach. It is your Jordan River seven times moment. It is within your reach. You can do that. You can commit yourself to him. You can make up a, a place in your house for him to move into. Yeah, you can. Can you love your neighbor as yourself? Is it within your reach? Is that your Jordan River moment seven times? Because I can tell you, you'll never be able to love your neighbor until he comes into you and lives in your house. If the man of God asked you something very, very hard, would it seem to be more appropriate, so more reasonable, if he came out on the porch or ra raised his hand in front of you? Can you believe and be baptized? He says, whoever believes and is baptized would be saved. Can you believe and be baptized so that you might be born again of the water, born again of the Spirit? Well, that's too simple. That's too simple. It's got to be something more than that. It's got to be something more. It's too, too simple. What would you do if you had access to a man of God? You're dying. Romans 10, verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church at Rome. Very clear instructions. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Too easy? Too simple? For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew, Gentile, here's Naaman in the story are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, would you come and live inside my house? I'll make place in my house for you to come and live. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It is his presence that saves you. Too easy? I ask you again, what would you do if you were dying and someone told you how you could live? Today I proclaim this truth. One greater than Elisha is here right now. Right now. In this room. This second. That woman from Shunem wanted the man of God in her house nearby. She made a room for him. Making a room for that man of God blessed her. Because when she made a room for him... His response to her is, what can I do for you? And he gives her the desires of her heart 
after her heart had been transformed by his presence. Making a room for that man of God saved her son's life. Anybody listening? Parents, you love your children? Making a room for the man of God, Jesus, in your house will save your children's life. It'll save your grandchildren's life. This is generational. Do you understand? It is generational. What would you do if you had access to a man of God? Would you make a room for him in your house, your tent, your temple? Would you do it today? Would you say to God, would you dare today say to God, I am not leaving this building. I am not going home unless you go with me. I make a place in my home for you now, today, because I know I cannot face death without you. I cannot face the tribulation that's coming upon this earth without you. I cannot do it. I call upon the name of the Lord. Would you ask him to move in? Even if he asks you to dip yourself in water? That's why the story of Naaman is so relevant. Even if he asks you to dip, it's too easy. It's too simple. What if the Son of God told a man of God, Peter, to tell you this final scripture I'm going to read today. Would you believe me? I'm going to say it again because I want to make sure you're clear. See, I believe the mantle of God was thrown upon Peter's neck by Jesus. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches a message because the mantle has come upon him by Christ. And here's what Peter preached. Remember what I said in Hebrews? In the past, he spoke through the prophets in many ways. But in these last days, he speaks singularly through the Son. Well, the Son, Jesus, committed this message to the Apostle Peter. Acts 2, 38. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So let's stop, stop, stop. Each of you need to repent of your sins. Let's start there. What would you do if you had a word of God from the man of God and you were dying? And the first thing he told you to do is you need to repent of your sins. Would you do it? Because in all reality, there are a lot of people in this room right now. A lot of people in this room. There are people watching me online right now, watching the service online right now. There is unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life right now. And the question today is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Each of you must, must, must repent of your sins. Turn to God. The idea of repentance is this. Unrepentant sin means your back is to God. You're walking away from Him. You're not walking toward Him. You need to turn around and you need to face Him. You need to turn around and face Him, but I don't want to. Then you will die. Then you will die. Each of you must repent of your sins. Uh, see, I think repentance is a beautiful word. That he, he's given you mercy and grace. Just turn around. Just turn around. I don't want to turn around. Then you'll die. Then you'll die. I don't want to dip seven times in the Jordan River. There's good rivers where I come from. Then you'll die. Then you'll die. Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized. Why do I have to be baptized? Isn't that a work? I'm saved by grace through faith. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. That's a work. I don't need to be baptized. What would you do if you were dying? And there's a grave with your name on it. The only thing that's not filled in is that last date. And a man of God told you, repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus, to show that you've received forgiveness of your sins, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Quite frankly, the gift of the Holy Spirit is life, forever life in you right now, not one day in the future, right now, today. What would you do? This promise is to you. It's generational. This promise is to you. It is to your children and even to the Gentiles. Somebody say hallelujah. It's, that's us. Even to the Gentiles. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Do you think you're living in a generation that's crooked? Around the nation this weekend, they are protesting and marching for the right to kill the unborn inside because they're upset that somehow they've been restricted in their murders. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourself. You're going to die. Apart from this, you're going to die. You're going to face God's wrath when he offered you his grace. You're going to die. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And what happened? What happened? What, what happened? Here's the story. Naaman was cured. The woman of Shunem got her son back. What happens when you encounter a man of God? Those who believed what Peter said. Those who believed. They didn't argue with it. They didn't debate it. Let's get into some theological debate on baptism. No! It just did it. Those who believe were baptized and added to the church that day, 3,000 at all. You know what didn't happen that day that the man of God, Peter, preached? You know what didn't happen? They didn't ask Peter why they need to be baptized. Nobody asked Peter, why do I need to be baptized? You know what they asked Peter? What must we do to be saved? This theological debate about baptism, not, it, it, it makes me ill. It's like people have gotten too smart for God. Why don't you just do what he says? Why don't you just obey him? Each of you should repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's life. 3,000 people believe but not everybody did. There are people in this room today more than likely haven't been baptized. I just ask you, why? Why? I don't get it. What would you do if you had access to a man of God and he told you clearly what you had to do to be, to have life? Why wouldn't you just do it? There's only one answer and it's where I ended last week. You don't believe it. Either you don't believe you don't, you're not going to die or he's not going to save you. So we're going to sing an invitation. Chad gave you a preview of it a moment ago. It's called a hymn of heaven. Here's how it starts. It says, how I long to breathe the air of heaven. Oh my, this is my heart. How I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets. To look upon the one who bled to save me. And walk with him for all eternity. Something's coming. Heaven's coming. Something's coming. I don't know. I'm like Elisha when that woman comes toward Mount Carmel. I don't know exactly what it is. But something's coming, church. The Holy Spirit is convicting me something really big's coming. Save yourself from this crooked generation. There are people in here today. You need to hear what I'm saying. You need to repent of your sins. You need to face God. You need to be baptized in obedience and turn to Him so that you might receive the Holy Spirit and you won't die. And if you walk out that door today and you reject this message, it's on you. Because the mercy and love of God put you here today. It's on you. Or would you be so bold today to say what that woman of Shunem said? I'm not going home unless you go with me. 
oh man of God. And we're not talking about Elisha here. We're talking about Jesus. I'm not going to my house unless you go with me because I'm making room for you today. I'm not leaving here unless you come into me. I need you inside. I cannot face death without you. I cannot face this tribulation, this judgment of God that's coming upon the earth. I cannot without you. I cannot do it. I recognize today I cannot come inside of me. Father, your word is truth. In the past, you spoke through the prophets in many ways. Now, there is a singular message. Jesus, Messiah, Christ, you alone save your Holy Spirit, your presence inside of us. How would anyone know your favor is upon us if you don't go with us? For it is your presence and only your presence that separates us from the rest of the world that is dying. So show us your glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation's open. Open. Let's stand.